Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you have a Bible, please open it to John 7:37. If you do not have one, throw a hand up because we've got a couple of our pastors and elders that are working right now to hand out Bibles, make sure everybody gets a copy. If you're in the hardback black Bible that we just handed out, turn to page 888. Everybody else, if you know your way around your Bible or if you type it into your digital Bible, John 7, 37. I will turn there as well. In the beginning... God created, what, Pastor Dennis? Heavens and the earth. And the earth was dark and formless, and the Spirit of the God hovered above the waters. He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, let there be different bodies of light in the heavens. Let there be vegetation. Let there be animals. Let there be humanity made in our image. And creation which didn't exist when he spoke, obeyed him and came into existence. Everything that he said. And he said that it was good. And after two glorious chapters of creating, the man and the woman decide that they know better. And they say, we're not going to listen to God. We're going to do it our way. And they create a spiritual divorce between the creator and the creation God kicks them out of the garden so they can't eat of the tree of life and live forever in their fallen, perverted state and puts angels at the Garden of Eden's entrance to make sure they can't get back and face that terrible fate. They have two sons. One kills the other. And this is Moses telling us, you sow bad seed, you're going to get bad fruit. They have more children, they have more children. Lamech and others start making excuses for sin. If Cain can be protected by God after what he did, then me times seven and all that silliness. You don't think that's bad? God obviously thought it was because a minute later he's flooding the earth. Eight humans survive by God's design. And they begin repopulating the earth. And then what happens? People have babies who have babies who have babies, and we start building cities, and we start building civilizations. We decide, hey, we still don't need God. Let's build a tower into the heavens to show that we can get there on our own. And God says, that's real cute. You guys have all spoken one language to this point, and I think that that's not creative enough. Zap. And the Bible doesn't say how many languages God created that day, but it is more than one. And construction stops because a loving God does not allow humans for too long to say, God, we don't need you. And before it got much worse, God came to a moon-worshipping pagan Iraqi named Abram. said, 
Get up, leave everything that you know, leave everything that is safe, leave everything that is comfortable. Does it sound like 2020? Hmm. Anyway. And go to a land. The one on the map here? No. One that you're not going to know about until you get there. I will show you. Old, childless. He says, you are going to have descendants like the stars, Abram. I'm going to give them to you. That's how numerous they're going to be. And Abram's descendants became a nation one day. The day we call Israel or the Hebrews or the Israelites, depending on the historical context. We don't have the time. That group was enslaved in Egypt. And they cried out at the end of Exodus chapter 2 for delivery. Yahweh, would you save us? And then Yahweh showed up as a flame in the midst of a bush, a flame that should be destroying the bush but isn't, and says to a murderer, hey Moses, I have a job for you. His name Moses meant drawn out. Don't ever say God doesn't have a sense of humor. He was drawn out of the water and he was going to use Moses to draw out his people. And God did. He smashed Pharaoh over and over again after continued disobedience, said, let my people go. Pharaoh wouldn't. Let my people go, but Pharaoh would not. Through many miracles and much power, God pulled his people out of Egypt and their rebellion right after being saved powerfully, watching a sea get pushed back so they could walk through on dry land. Their rebellion was so potent that God says, we're going to go on a 40-year timeout through the wilderness until all of you have died. I'll take your children into the promised land instead of you. And 40 years later, he does. At Jericho, he told us, the most amazing battle, battle tactics ever. Hey, instead of a spear and a shield, you're going to sing. And you're going to blow trumpets. And I'm going to teach you that it is the praise of God's children toward God that moves walls. It's not spears and shields. You need to know this if you're going to enter into my rest, if you're going to enter into my promised land. And then God continued to give victory to his people and gave them the land that he had promised to Abraham. And they had all this territory. They didn't take all that they were promised, but they took a lot of it. And it wasn't long before they said, we're tired of being ruled by whoever knows the most Bible verses. We want a king like all the other nations. We want to be like the cool kids. And God says to a prophet Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Go ahead and give them what they want. Here's where you're going to find my anointed, which is just a fancy word that means the one I've chosen, set apart. So Saul is anointed. It doesn't go well. Then David is anointed. It goes a lot better, unless your name's Uriah. And then Solomon is anointed. And really, it doesn't go that well at all unless you're a merchant, you're rich, but the spiritual temperature of the 
family of God was at a low, a low point compared to what David did. To the point that the people of God split in two. You guys think church splits are brand new? The people of God would not be of just the family of David and the promise that came through David that one day a deliverer would come and save the people of God. And as two separate, usually very disobedient kingdoms, the people of God lived for hundreds and hundreds of years with wicked king, wicked king, wicked king. Oh, he's not so bad. Next one, wicked king, wicked king. Oh, he's pretty good. Wicked king, wicked king, wicked king. And books like First and Second Chronicles that Christians love to skim through and say that we read it. Because the only thing that we see in there is, this is their name, this is how long they ruled, and then a very quick, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did what was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And instead of seeing the common theme that actually matters, we get bored. Until God says, I have warned you enough. I have pleaded with you over and over again to obey the covenant. Come back to me. Be my people and I'll be your God. Blessing is waiting for you. Until separate and separate incidents over 100 years apart from each other, the two kingdoms are carried off into slavery by two large world powers, first Assyria, then Babylon. And the people of God those who are left, hey, God, where are you? You delivered us from Egypt. When will you deliver us again? And they had to wait and wait and wait. The empires that took them over, those empires themselves fell and were taken over by other empires. And they were still not sovereign. There was still no one on the throne of David. God, when will you show up? The Seleucids and other empires, they fall. And then Rome comes in. It's like, we're just changing out the leader, but none is on the throne of David. God, where are you? Of the few things back from what Moses had told us as a people, one of the few things that we actually obeyed was the festival of shelters that Pastor Dennis introduced you to. And in the festival of shelters, after a week of living in tents outside of their buildings to remember the days that we were wandering in the wilderness, to remember God's protection, to remember God's provision, there was a ceremony that developed the seventh and the last and the greatest day of the feast where the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and scoop up some water in a bowl, and in front of the entire assembly would pour it out onto the altar of God to remind all of us of the time that we would have died, but God made water come from a rock. Enough to feed hundreds of thousands of people. And every year we commemorated this on the seventh day of the feast. Every year we would pour out the water remembering that God is our salvation, that he is the one who's going to save us. This is the promise that he made to Abram. This is the promise that he made to David. He will save his people, even in the middle of a desert. And after hundreds and hundreds of years of silence, a man named Jesus walks into the ceremony 
And on the last day, after much Bible teaching, after much controversy, verse 37, he, at the climax of the festival, stood up and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty, come to me! Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Holy Spirit, teach us the word of God today. Give us these three verses, Lord. Help us to cling to you and wrestle like Jacob did until we get a blessing. God, give us as a family and as individuals, as guests who are exploring faith, give us what you have for us from this text. We ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. Note takers, your first blank. Did everybody get a bulletin who wanted one? Pastor Dennis has them if you need one still. And there are your sermon notes if you want them. First blank. There we go. Christianity didn't start at Christmas. Christianity didn't start at Christmas. Why would two-thirds of the Bible be before Christmas? If we're not going to celebrate, we're just going to celebrate from Christmas forward. And I say this by way of repentance. We're all a part of it. If we love Jesus Christ, we're a part of it. We tend to take Jesus, God in the flesh, and go, awesome, this is the apex. Therefore, this is all I'm going to focus on. But the problem is when we don't see the rest of the story, we think that the apex, the climax of the story, is the only part of the story. How many of you guys know that the climax of a movie has usually been building up for an hour and a half? Right? That big, epic scene where James Bond is about to ruin yet another beautiful Aston Martin. Sometimes this happens in the opening scene, just to throw you off. But the big chase, the really big, wow, the good guy and the bad guy are coming to fisticuffs. There's nobody else around. They're alone in a desert or something. You know, and there's somebody in a helicopter dropping napalm at random. Like, the apex of the story has had tons of buildup. Do you know what I need to know? I need to know not only who is the good guy, but why do I want the good guy to win? You have to help me as the viewer. Maybe I'm reading a book as the reader. Why do I want the good guy to win? Who's the bad guy? And why should I want the bad guy to lose? You want to make it more interesting? Tell me how the bad guy works. Did God really tell you that if you ate of that fruit, you would die? Tell me who the damsel in distress is and why do I care whether she makes it or not? You know who's the damsel in distress? The two rebellious children that get kicked out of a garden and they have to wait thousands of years until these people receive a promise to Abram. Through all the nations of the earth, you'll be blessed. Further promises. I will save, I will protect, I will be your God, you will be my people. 
Tell me who the secondary characters are that you don't remember their name, but they still somehow won an Oscar. Tell me the setting. How odd would it be to watch a movie that didn't have a setting? Is it in outer space? Is it the wild, wild west? Tell me the story so that I could care when the apex of the story happens. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are Christians have a nasty habit of saying directly or indirectly that Jesus is the answer to a culture where no one's asking a question. How am I supposed to care that Jesus showed up? How am I supposed to care that Christians claim he was morally perfect? Why am I supposed to care about Jesus' ethics unless it just has some practical implication on me 20 centuries later? Why am I supposed to care that he was tortured by Rome? Why am I supposed to care that he died? Why am I supposed to care that his followers say he was raised to life on Sunday morning? Who cares? Well, I care deeply if you've already established that the protagonist is a God whose love has never, ever stopped. Christmas is not the start of a story. That doesn't make any sense. If God so loved the world that he gave, you've got to tell me that there is a God and you have to show me his love over and over again to a rebellious people. That is why God spent two-thirds of his love letter establishing not just our rebellion, but his steadfast love despite it. So there can be no doubting and there can be no shock when he even gives his own son to ransom us back. Nobody is surprised when the good guy in the middle of a, ball, a brawl is able to grab a knife and stab the bad guy. Not only did it happen, we're all excited that it happened because we've spent a long time hating the bad guy. We saw what he did. He killed so-and-so, and he was mean about this, and he was mean about that. He kicked puppies, and we're ready for the bad guy to get his. And we sit here, Christians, we wonder why Citrus Heights doesn't care that Satan's sin and death are defeated. Brothers and sisters, we've got to, got to, got to study, love, and adore our Bibles. This is not a book. It is a revelation of reality. Who is the hero? Who are the villains? Who's the damsel in distress? What is the setting? Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should I care? Christians, please study your entire Bible. Please study your entire Bible. Jesus stands up when all of us are getting together to commemorate back to this story that 21st century Christians don't even remember happened. Right? How do I appreciate what Jesus is saying if I don't study? Right? The people of God have been doing a lot. There's been a lot that's been happening, good, bad, and ugly. And then Jesus says, with a very, in a very specific context, says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. L let me tell you specifically why the context matters so much. 
the pluralism of 21st century Western culture, we believe we can get a drink anywhere. But the context says, no, when Jesus says in a commemoration of water from a rock, he is saying, you are in a desert, humanity. And when I say come to me and drink, we're commemorating this specific event where there's only one source of water and that source is a miracle. 21st century Americans do not believe as a general rule that we need to be saved from anything. We don't believe that we're in a desert, let alone that there's only one water source. That's offensive and narrow-minded, let alone that that water source is miraculous and God-given, let alone that that water source is a person. There are so many layers between modern American culture and a strong grasp of the good news of God in Jesus. There are so many layers, and some of those layers, brothers and sisters, are found in the first two-thirds of the Bible. For ourselves, if we are Christians, for our friends and neighbors who are exploring faith, maybe that's you today at home or here. If somebody told you to explore faith, take a look at the Gospel of John, they're not wrong. They're not wrong in the least. That's the apex of the story. Because when I see James Bond give the what for to the bad guy, oh, that's cool. I at least know who's the good guy, I know who's the bad guy, I know who won. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. And hopefully, maybe, my appetite is going to be wet to know the whole story of God. Brothers and sisters, I won't even ask you to raise hands, but you know it's happened. How many times do you have a friend exploring faith and they ask questions, genuine questions in my head, in my heart? I'm trying to understand this faith, this worldview of yours. And the question's answer is found in the Old Testament. Like your Bible reads left to right. Do you know that? (laughs) Left to right. Christianity didn't start at Christmas. And Jesus just showed us by saying something in a context where if we don't have context, we're going, okay, well, that's nice. Now the offensive part. Two, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy a soul's thirst for God. He's the only one. Humanity is in a spiritual desert. And there's only one offering himself as the water of life. I've asked you this before. Did anybody else die for your sins? You know what I mean? If there is a holy God, if he has the authority to say what is right and what is wrong, if he has every right to be upset when we do what is wrong, then who is going to reconcile us to this God? Not only did Muhammad not die for your sins, he never even claimed to. Not only did Buddha not die for your sins, he never even claimed to. Same with Joseph Smith, same with Oprah. What? Jesus is the only one who can satisfy a soul's thirst for God. Imagine this being the spiritual and emotional setting of your life. Imagine pitching a tent 
100 yards away from this well. And for whatever reason, you had to live there the rest of your life. Your family was there, your friends were there, everybody else has tents, like your community is there. But this is where you live. Let me ask you a really silly question. How important is the well? See, it's kind of a stupid question because you can't say important like a hierarchy. You can't say, well, you know, when you take Maslow's pyramid, and like, I don't want to take, well, if you had to have clothing or water, which would it be? Well, naked and alive, I guess, is better than clothed and dead, right? And you're not pitting these things against each other because without water, you are dead. So there's nothing really that can compete. Oxygen, I guess. But nothing else competes with water. This image was, was not chosen by accident. This is 21st century United States, so let me reframe it. You live in a desert, and all of your friends and family live around. They have their own tents, your community. Everybody's figured out their jobs, and there's, there's commerce, and there's religion, all this stuff. And there's only one Starbucks. There's one watering hole. It's the center of community. This is where people meet. Jesus says, I am the only source of life, period. Now, as I've said many times before, allow me to repeat myself. If you disagree, if you think the Bible was tampered with, etc., you are totally free to believe that Jesus Christ was a nut job. You've got the right to believe whatever you want. I want to keep pressing in on you and asking you this question until I get a good answer. Wouldn't even a nut job give up on his lie the first time the cat of nine tails rips flesh off his back? That's where I give up. I'm out. Peace. I thought I was getting a book deal and getting rich and famous for making up a religion, and now I have a cat of nine tails ripping flesh off of me. I'm done. It was a, I was just kidding, folks. Just kidding. You could also say that Jesus was, you know, Lord Liar Lunatic, right? Josh McDowell, C.S. Lewis. He was who he said he was. He lied about it, which I think he paid way too high a price for his lie, or he was absolutely nuts. I would ask you to go back into the Gospel of John and say, how does somebody who is nuts shutting down the religious elite left and right? The religious liberals of the day, the Sadducees, come to him, hey, and they didn't even believe in the afterlife. They, they, sorry, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so the whole thing was a little bit crazy. Hey, a man dies without leaving children, and his brother marries the widow, but then he dies without leaving children. And they create this really weird, ludicrous scenario where seven different brothers had all been married to the same woman, not at the same time, of course. In the resurrection, whose wife will it be? And he just says, your problem is that you don't know the Bible and you don't know the God who gave it to you. And the Pharisees, the really conservative religious group, hear that Jesus shut down the Sadducees, and they go, okay? So it's the religious version, but I want you to think of this. Imagine a moderate candidate that utterly crushes the Democrats in a public debate on international television, and it makes the Republicans terrified. 
that they're next. Crazy people can't do that. When Jesus Christ says he is the source of life, I'm begging you, please wrestle with it. That's the point of the entire book of John. Wrestle with it. Who is he? If you're a guest, here's... Oh, I didn't put a slide in there. If you're a guest, here's what I want you to to do. I want you to come to him. Just like he said, anyone who thirsts, come to me. Anyone who thirsts, come to me. That means there's an onus on you. Do something. If you thirst, come to him. So the onus is on you, but man, that's good news. There's a well to go to at all. That's good news. Third. Oh, I was supposed to... Oh, that's a slide from last week. Wow, Greg is really on it. Third blank. Jesus' call is limited by only one thing. Thirst. Here's your blank. Jesus' call is limited by only one thing. Thirst. Primal desire. Do you have to use your brain to be thirsty? In fact, it's the distraction of the mind sometimes where we aren't realizing very quickly, oh, I'm thirsty. It's something deep down. Jesus, in inviting you into relationship with himself, has a qualifier. There's only one qualifier. And I have some good news for you in multiple forms. Are you ready? No, nobody's ready for good news. At least Conrad, I mean, somebody. Anybody ready for good news? The qualifier is not your IQ. The qualifier is not your social status. It's not based on what your family thinks. The qualifier is not whether you're tall enough. The qualifier is not whether you think a certain way. The qualifier is not whether or not you've committed certain sins. The qualifier is not your gender identity. The qualifier is not your political stance. The qualifier is not the color of your skin. The qualifier is not the size of your bank account. The qualifier is not the number of good deeds you've done recently. The qualifier is not the shame of your past. It is not the correct or incorrect beliefs you have about God. The qualifier is not your wisdom or your folly. The qualifier is, are you thirsty? Do you hear how inclusive this exclusive gospel is? Are you thirsty? That's all Jesus cares about when he invites rebels to become sons and daughters. Are you thirsty? That's it. And this is why the church of Jesus Christ exists on six continents made up of every color, every creed, every language, every belief. Communist countries have Christians. Socialist countries have Christians. Whatever you want to call us, countries have Christians. I'd call us free, but there's just too many things in the news recently. More free than others. How about that? No. All these different creeds and ways of thinking, 20 centuries of history, 
wildly divergent cultures, wildly divergent foods and customs and holidays. And throughout, the good news of Jesus Christ has been infecting and affecting cultures. Because the only qualifier wherever the gospel goes is, are you thirsty? Wait, so I don't get in? Actually, no. If you're not thirsty, you're not welcome in. Did you just hear that? The kingdom of God is not for everybody. If there were zero qualifiers, everybody would be in the kingdom. Everybody would love Jesus. Is that the world we live in? Say no. Not by a long shot. Why is thirst so rare? Huh. If you're exploring faith, here's what I want to say to you. The barrier that you think is stopping you from following Jesus is not actually stopping you. Did you know that? You think, I can't follow Jesus because of that, or I don't want to follow Jesus because of that, and that's not what's stopping you. If you're thirsty, Jesus will smash through that barrier to get to you. Do you know that? Brothers and sisters, when I say read your Bible, I mean read your Bible. Because the whole book of Hosea is about an angry, jealous God who's ripping through every false idol that has gotten between him and his people. Read the whole Bible. The God of the Bible does not tolerate others taking his lover away in chains. He does not tolerate it because he loves you. Whatever you think is stopping you from loving Jesus and following after him, that's not it. Because if you're thirsty, Jesus will smash that barrier. He smashed it for Nicodemus. He really smashed it for Saul of Tarsus. He smashed it for Peter. He smashed it for me in 1989. Did he smash it for you? Fourth. A Christian does not keep the Holy Spirit for themselves. They pass him to others by sharing the gospel. Christian does not keep the Holy Spirit for themselves. They pass him to others by sharing the gospel. And go back with me to verse 38. Anyone who believes in me and may come and drink for the scriptures declare, are you ready? Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. His is a pronoun. Who is it pointing to? I told you last week, 90% of the time, if you say Jesus, you'll be correct. This is not one of those moments. It's the last, the last subject, the last personal noun is going to be who the his points to. The word-for-word -word translations are a little clearer on this than the dynamic equivalents. The his is anyone. Anyone. Okay? So, scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow from the heart of who? Anyone who believes in me and comes and drinks. Oh, it hasn't landed yet. Okay, let me spell it out. 
You thirst because of the mercy of a loving God transforming your heart from stone into flesh. You feel that thirst. You come to him for living water and you receive it. Congratulations, you're part of the family of God. And the Holy Spirit who enters you based on God's grace and your faith does not sit in your house of your heart and get cozy with a lazy boy, a Pepsi, and the TV remote. That is not what the Holy Spirit does. He moves in and says, we're going to bless others until we're done. Like that, That's my agenda in your heart and life. You and I are going to make much of Jesus the rest of your existence. And it's not a question, it's a statement. That's what we're doing. That is the agenda. Rivers. Of, do, do rivers move or do they sit? Yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you thought that you came to Jesus so that he'd be your personal Lord and Savior and you could be a nicer person and now we're done, you're not a biblical Christian. And I don't say that to make you feel like you got kicked in the shin. I say that to let you know there's so much more waiting for you. There are people who work at your office who are going to go to heaven one day. And they're going to go to heaven even though they do not know Jesus Christ in 2020. They're going to hear the gospel off of your lips. And it may be in 2023 that they hear the gospel off of your lips. But the thing is, rivers of living water flow in and through the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit is going to break out. And he's not asking you, he's telling you. He's working on you and in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases God, Philippians 2. And as he molds your character, and as he naturally creates lips that praise, you and I can and will praise our creator. We will praise our savior. People are going to hear about Jesus whether they like it or not. I'm sorry, I'm excited. See, I saw this re great movie Friday night, and you heard on Monday morning that I liked the movie. How much more precious is my savior? We don't even go to a good restaurant without posting on Facebook, how awesome, it was a great experience. You see, as a Christian, as we keep stirring up affection in our heart for Christ, there's going to be a bubbling over. You're going to hear about Jesus. Sorry, that's going to happen. Should we do that now? Should we have coffee now? Is that going to happen later? You're going to hear about Jesus. Or else I don't really love him that much, do I? since we're being honest. I use church. I just thought we should be honest, you know. What's this? Not a trick question. I got this picture with my two friends, Jack and Jill. They went up a hill, and that's not true. So this is a bucket. And to be specific, it's a bucket that has no holes. This is a holy bucket. And it's cheesy, but you're going to remember it. The holy bucket gives to others, doesn't keep for itself. Right? I'm not above really lousy, cheesy illustrations. I'm not above that. The holy bucket is designed to bless others, not simply receive the blessing for themselves of the knowledge of God, the intimate knowledge of God by receiving the gospel and the Holy Spirit entering our life. And, but let me ask you something really important. These sermons, I think, are always tougher on the Christians than the guests. Do you think it hurts to have the Holy Spirit poke a hole in your side? <laughs> 
Who here, let's, let's listen to honest Christian time. Who will testify by a raised hand that you shared the gospel with somebody, but the Holy Spirit had to basically assault you to get you to do it because you were so uncomfortable? Okay, my hand's up. My hand's up. If you have decided Jesus Christ is delivering a river of life, the Holy Spirit, and he's the only well, he's the only source of that life, you have signed up for a life of being assaulted by a God who loves you too much to let you be stingy. He's making you generous because you see a bucket that gives outside of itself. That looks a lot like my Savior. He allowed God to poke a hole in his side so he could bless us as well. We look more like our Savior. You can be a bucket or you can be a holy bucket. ARCF, I'm going to keep reminding you, one of our core values, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus just quoted an Old Testament scripture and in so doing repeated it and now it's in the New Testament. He stated multiple times. I mean, he said it in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He wasn't asking. He wasn't licking his finger and sticking it to the wind like a politician. He was saying it. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Colossians 1, amongst other places, tell us that Christ is part of a triune God who created, right? In the beginning, God said, and it was, he said, and it was, he said, and it was. When Jesus Christ says, you will be my witnesses, he is a creating God. It is going to happen, period. He's not just looking into the future and saying, I can tell you what's going to happen off of somebody's ordaining of reality. He's saying, no, I'm creating it by saying it. That's what's so cool when Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock and I'll build my church on, like, it's going to happen. Christians, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. How does that sound? Because I'm exhausted and I'm just going to, um, I can't preach in my power anyway. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit moved you today. Whatever your next baby step of obedience is, I'm going to trust that he moved you and that he's moving me. Lord Jesus, we do not gather in this room just because we've got friends in this room, although that's great. And God, we definitely do not gather in this room to learn new things. There's plenty of information online or in books. But we do gather, Lord, because being in the same room together is a proclamation that you have reconciled us to each other by your blood. And we sing together because you've commanded us to. And we sit under your word together as your Bible illustrates for us that the people of God are to do. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would not only shape us by your word, but also be a blessing to those of us that don't yet know and love Jesus who are in the room today or at home watching online. God, I ask for my brothers and sisters who are at home watching online may not feel like they get to be as much a part as the rest of us. And I just ask the Holy Spirit that you'd help them to feel loved deeply by you and by this church. And I don't know all the details of how to make that happen, but I know that you do.
God, I ask that you'd make hearts in this room thirsty. People who are watching online, you'd make hearts thirsty. Jesus, I ask that you would affect feet, that the right people uh, with thirsty hearts would get up on their feet and walk to room one after this service to ask Pastor Dennis of the details of what it is to be a Christian. God, give us hearts that see you for who you are and result and exult in praise seven days a week. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, God's people said. So it's been a while, but we're going to get back into a rhythm of having a response time. We're going to sing one more song. If you need to open your Bible and write down in the margin something that God has said to you today, I want you to feel free to do that. If you want to get down on your knees and pray, I want you to do that. If you need to share with a friend what God said to you today, what he's doing in your life, do that. You want to stand and sing, go ahead and feel free to do that. We're going to spend just a few moments responding to God's word.
you give us. And God, as we go out now to uh, to do our week, Lord, just walk with us, carry us when you need to. And God, we thank you. We love you so much. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.